Uh, many of you may not know this, but um, Roe was a preacher in and of her own right uh, before I even met her. She was she was uh, at a, a Baptist church up in Colorado. Where where was it? Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley. She was on the she was on the teaching team there, and so she could she could bring it on her own. But and we like to preach together sometimes about our our relationship and about marriage in general and really relationships in general. So um, today we're going to talk. Uh, a little bit about marriage and um, and really about community. I mean, it's really about the relationships that God has created. And so um, we're going to talk about something that maybe isn't incredibly popular, but um, we're going to talk about the power of otherness, the power of otherness. Uh, we live in a culture that does not value otherness very much, but God um, places a high value on otherness. Uh, much of his systems are, are based in otherness. Um, and uh, for instance... Uh, there, you know, when in Genesis chapter one, when God creates the heavens and the earth, the first thing He creates is light. He says, "Let there be light." All that was there before was darkness. So immediately He creates the opposite. <laughs> he steps into darkness and says, "Let's get the opposite in here. That's what we need." And um, because God is not afraid of otherness, He's not afraid of the tension between light and darkness. He He speaks light into darkness, and it's not that darkness was bad. It's just it needed its opposite. Uh, he created atoms, right? And, and around atoms are swirling positive protons and negative neutrons. Positive and negative forces around the same atom. And every single atom has to have a plus and a minus sign to it. Every single, every single piece of his creation has within it its own opposite. And uh, he did this throughout. He did this throughout Genesis as he's creating, right? He created flying things and swimming things on the same day. So the things that fly up to the highest point of the earth are all at the same time that he's creating things that swim down to the lowest point of the earth. God is constantly, throughout the creation um, narrative, creating opposites. He's always creating this balance. And within the balance, there is tension. And then it comes to his, the apex of his creation. And he says that he is going to create um, man. And so he creates man. And uh, we're going to throw up a scripture here for you in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Um, God creates man and then says it's not good for man to be alone because he doesn't have an opposite. Uh, he doesn't, he, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no positive and negative here. It's all whatever one you think it is. <laughs> Caught myself. Uh, <laughs> then the Lord God said, it's not good that a man should be alone. So maybe it's all negative. It's not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now that word fit for him, this is the ESV version. Um, you read the New King James, it says uh, uh, another word, suitable, I think is the word that that uses. Um, a helper fit, a helper suitable. Um, that word fit or suitable is actually not really a great translation. The actual word, it means, it's, it, it's really a combination of words. And it means uh, that which is like the opposite. <laughs> he said, I'll make a helper that is like him, but opposite him. That is similar to him in that it's also human, but opposite of him in that it is a woman and not a man. And so God creates the opposite, the, the positive to his negative, right? The, the whatever to his whatever. Um, he creates the opposite. Uh, and now he says, this is, this is good. Jesus reaffirms this in Mark. If we can go to Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus asked a question about marriage. Many people say that Jesus never talked about marriage, but he actually did. He says, he says from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So gender is important to God. God made them male and female. They didn't decide that they were male and female. God created gender. He assigned gender to them. And it's very important that this gender is there because right here, for this reason, because of this male and female, for this reason, the reason, for the reason of this positive and negative or, you know, these opposites that God created, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, a man will be, leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh. This is Jesus. These words are written in red. This is Jesus defining marriage. He defines it. This is a male and female relationship. One man, one woman in a relationship where they become one flesh. 
And, and so it's meant to be permanent. It's not meant to be, uh, uh, you know, for, for a season or for a time. It's meant to be permanent. And it's meant to be a man and a woman coming together, these two opposites coming together. This is what Jesus said. Jesus is, is just reiterating what the Old Testament states about, about marriage. Um, the, the problem with this is that we live in a generation that does not like opposites. We don't like otherness. We don't like otherness in a lot of ways. We don't like otherness um, in, with, with regard to races or ethnicities. Uh, many times, we, we, we are still a segregated culture. Uh, we, still, we still enjoy to hang out with people that look like us. Uh, we enjoy to hang out with people who think like us. We don't, we don't like otherness with regard to political views either. Uh, I mean, the election is just around the corner, and so many people who normally have, I was reading, uh, I think it was in the Times, about how so many people who normally have like election night parties are not having election night parties this year because they're afraid someone's going to get killed or beat up, you know, because there's a lot of tension. Nobody, and so, so, they, so they are actually having election night parties, but they're only inviting like their Democrat friends or their Republican friends. And uh, Cinemark Theater is actually putting on, they usually put on like, like a special event every, every election night. And it's usually for both parties, right? Come and laugh and, and they always, you know, drink some and, and they, they, they have a special event. Well, they've decided this election year, they're not going to, they're, they're going to have a Republican time slot and a Democrat time slot. Like, because they're so afraid that people are not able to handle otherness. So, because most of the jokes on the Democratic movie is going to be all about, you know, the Republicans. And most of the jokes on the Republican movie is going to be all about... So, there, there's no room for otherness. There's no room for another point of view or another, another way of seeing it and being okay with that. We are not okay with otherness. We are becoming more and more of a sameness kind of culture. We're not even okay with otherness with regard to age. Many times, you know, 30-somethings hang out together, 20-somethings hang out together, 50-plus hang out together, and we have these lines of segregation. What I love about City Chapel is that, one, like, I don't know what ethnicity we are. I'm not sure how that, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know. I just, it's, it's, like, it's like a whole bunch of different ones. And, and I don't even know what age we are. People are like, so what's the main age of your church? Um, somewhere between 1 and 80. I, I know it's... It's in there. It keeps flowing. Like, yeah, because cause we visit a lot of churches, and, and some churches, it's like, there's nobody there, you know, over, like, 35. Like, there's one family. It's like the, the, the one grandma, grandpa of the church, and it's like, have you guys been through anything? Like, do you know how to handle any? Like, like, who do you go to for advice? I don't know. So, I mean, I love having older folks. I love having young, younger folks because older folks need to hang out with younger folks and vice versa. It's healthy. Otherness is, brings strength. Otherness is powerful. Sameness always exposes weakness. And this is true also. This isn't a political statement, but same-sex marriage is also not God's plan because there's no otherness there. Because it's sameness. <laughs> Clearly, this is not God's plan. And so God's plan is to create these opposites and bring them together. Humanity has a problem with that because whenever you bring opposites together, there's friction. And we don't know how to handle the friction. And that's why there's divorce. That's why there's sameness in marriage. That's why, that's why there's sameness in culture. That's why there's different uh, news stations that one espouses a completely set of worldviews. Another one espouses a completely separate set of worldviews because we want people that confirm our bias. We don't like the friction of otherness. We never have. We've always had trouble with that. And so the great question is, if otherness is God's plan, how in the world can it work? And so today that's what Ro and I are going to be talking about. And we're going to start off by reading Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter 5. And this is the classic scripture about um, wives, husbands and wives. And I will probably always go to this scripture until the day I die when people ask me about marriage because this is the Holy Spirit speaking about his, his plan for marriage. He says, 20, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> was that an amen or was that a chuckle? <laughs> He's laughing. You've been married for a while. <laughs> it's not a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is sarcastic sometimes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We're going to talk about it. It's all good. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That's important. The savior is important. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything 
to their husbands. And so we're going to talk about two different roles. We're going to talk about the, the wife's role and the husband's role. And if you're, if you're married today, this is going to be helpful to you. Don't like jab anybody that's next to you. Just look straight ahead. If you're single today, this is going to be helpful for you because this is not just marriage. This is Christian community. This is the entire world. God created otherness to be inside of every detail of his world. So even if you're single, you need otherness in your life. And God explains how we can live with otherness. We need, we need Baptists and Pentecostals. You know what I'm saying? Like we need, we need otherness. We need, we need some Baptocostals. We need some, some charismatic and Catholics, you know, like we need both. We need, we need, we need, like we, it's not either or. It's not like, well, you, you have to pray this way and you have to do the, no, we need, we need otherness in the church. And so, yeah. So how do we do it? Well, first off, first off, here's this word right here. Wives submit, babe, would you like to bail me out? Sure. It's good that he picked me to explain this one, huh? So, um, you know, negotiating the bumpy road of otherness. And so we started to talk about how we do that. And for me, the first thing in submission is to look at my Lord. And I looked at Jesus' life, and he lived a submitted life. He never did anything apart from what the Father wanted him to do. And whether that be that he's walking down a road, and there are a hundred people who want healing, and... The father says to him, I want you to heal that one. And he goes to that one. Maybe his heart was compassionate towards them all, but he did what God asked him to do, what the father asked him to do. And the ultimate was um, at Golgotha, of course. Um, I was just reading yesterday about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And I did not know that it was on the same hill that Jesus was, um, went up on a cross on. And so that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me that um, so many years beforehand, God had figured out how to show what would happen at Golgotha. But we know what Jesus said to the Father in the garden. He said, you know, I would rather not do this. If you can take this cup from me, that would be good. And the Father, he knew that the Father wanted him to do it. And so he said, but not my will, your will be done. So the first thing I look at, ladies, and men, is that um, to live a submitted life, I look at my Lord first, and he lived a submitted life, and he is my example, so I will follow. Um, yeah, and who he was submitted to is important. Yes, absolutely. He was submitted to his Father. So this is why, if you're not submitted to Jesus, it's going to be hard for you to connect with others. It's just going to be difficult, because Jesus didn't want to die for us. He wasn't like, ah, oh, yeah, I gotta love those guys so much. Let me run to that cross. No, he was like, is there another way? Can we figure this out? He was submitted, but he was submitted to the Father. And so mm-hmm. it's so important in Christian community and in marriage. If you want your marriage to work, you gotta submit to your Father first and foremost. Yeah, it's good. So, you know, what does it mean to submit? And I was reading a, um, an article this week from um, a wife of a Bible teacher, which I just adore. And it said this, to obey God simply means to set aside and relinquish what we think we want and what pleases us, and by faith choose to do whatever he has asked, God has asked. So what I want you to do, you've all got a worship guide in front of you, you've all got a pen, I don't know how to say that as an American, I know my ears get slaughtered, Um, but I want you to write down- Writing utensil. Yeah, writing utensil. I'm going to read out a list to you, and I want you to write down any word that resonates with you that might be something you think you are holding on to, might be something that you are thinking or that pleases you. So the first word is anger. The next word is guilt. The next word is bitterness. The next word is resentment. Unforgiveness. Criticalness. Doubt. Pride. And fear. And what I want you to do during the service or after the service or during this week as I want you to go and talk to Jesus who lived a submitted life 
And I want you to say to him, I am starting to understand that living a submitted life means only doing what the Father has asked me to do. And God has not asked you to be angry. He's not asked you to have guilt. He's not asked you to be bitter. He's not asked you to be resenting. He's not asked you to have unforgiveness in your heart. He's not asking you to be critical. He's not asking you to doubt. He's not asking you to hold on to pride. And he is not asking you to be fearful of anything but him. So as I was preparing this, I started, I have come to the conclusion that the ones I chose before Harry, I chose boys who were a lot of fun to hang around with. They were good guys, they were moral guys, and they were a lot of fun, but they hated commitment just as much as I did. And so we had a lot of fun, and we never talked about actually being submitted to one another. They didn't want me to submit. They wanted me to lead, which suited me just fine because I got to call all the shots. It was great. <laughs> didn't have to change. Didn't have to do anything. You know, and then I went to a life in Colorado where I just got to snowboard all day and rock climb and mountain bike. I mean, we had a rule in the valley. It was called the powder day rule. And if there was powder on the mountain, you didn't have to submit to anything else, baby. No, just powder. I mean, shops would close down. There'd be signs on the door, seven inches of powder last night. Sorry about your luck, but no sandwiches today. You know, and if your friend got hurt on the mountain, you just called back to them. Sorry, powder rules, find your own way home. You know, like it just, I mean, powder ruled. We didn't have to submit to anything else. <laughs> so I look back on that and I'm like, Lord, how did you change me into a girl that actually cares about submission and values it. And he was showing me um, this week that his mission has become more important to me than any of my missions. And that is how it has changed. His mission is to see all of you and us grow closer to him and be able to honor him and give him glory in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we are. And the more involved I get in City Chapel, I mean, we've been associate pastors before, but this is our first time being senior pastors. And when you're senior pastors, you give it all. I mean, it's like being the parent of a newborn baby. Ain't nobody else gonna get up in the middle of the night and feed that sucker, it's you. So, you know, here is the senior pastors, it's us, we do it. We lay down everything, we pour it all out. And the more that I have done that, the more committed I have been, the more I have grabbed a hold of his mission. And it has become so paramount in my mind that everything else has fallen away. Not everything. I still struggle. Don't, don't fool that I'm on this pedestal that doesn't struggle anymore. I do. And he hassles me about it, and it's good. But yeah. it's, it's getting his mission. Yeah, yeah and, that's, and, that, and that's what the word submission is. I mean, it's sub, you know, under something, sub, uh, under, and then the word mission. So in, in, uh, in, in Christian circles, this, this whole idea of women, you know, wives submit to your husband, we've kind of jacked that word up. We, we, we've, we've really turned it into something different to where it's not with regard to the mission that your husband is on or that your family is on. You don't have to come under the mission. You just have to go along with the decisions. <laughs> So uh, the danger of that is basically we've turned submission into um, one, it not being a heart issue, and two, it, it, it being really about that particular male, whatever he's wanting like in the family. So if he wants to go out to eat here, then that's where we go out to eat. If he wants to go to that church, then that's the church that we go to. If he doesn't want to go to church, then we don't go to church. Uh, we, we've, we've been, yeah, we've done a lot of counseling over the years and so many times ladies, you know, I'll say, so, so why did you guys move there? Why did you guys do that? Oh, because my husband wanted to. And I'm like, that's all? That's all you got? I mean, that's really, that, that's it? Like your husband said we're doing it. And so you just like, like, is that, is that, is that going to work when you stand before God? Like by yourself, without your husband, just you stand before God. And he says, why did you do that? You're, you're going to say, it was that guy over there. He, uh, he made me pretty much, you know, there was a rule, submit to your, submit to your husband. It's what you said. I got to go along with him. Now you don't get immunity. <laughs> you don't get to hide behind people. You are accountable. Every lady in here that's married, you are accountable for you. You are accountable for your decisions. And so to submit does not mean just, just to go ahead and go along with everything that, that this, this guy just wants to do. I mean, like in, in the United States Army, if you have a commanding officer uh, somewhere in Afghanistan and he decides that he's going to scrap the mission 
of, of, of the president of the United States. He's going he's gonna, to, yeah, we really don't need that. I'm going to turn this into a big vacation for me. So uh, I need you to go fly over to Starbucks, fly in, ship in some Starbucks for me. I need you to be my 24-7 foot massager. I need you, you know, and he just sets up his own little operation. Those soldiers do not have a responsibility to massage his feet. Those soldiers have a responsibility to report him to the ones who are over him because he has abandoned the mission. Have a responsibility in this. We all have a responsibility in this. To, to submit is not, is not to come under somebody. And, you know, and this happens in churches too where pastors like do crazy stuff and people just go along with it because, well, he's the one in charge. No, no, no. To submit is to come under the same mission. And if, and, and if, if your pastor gets out from under the mission of God, you, you, you need to tell him about that. You need to call him on that. And then you need to talk to the one who's over him, which is God himself. And God can deal with that guy. But you, you, you have to come under the mission together. You're never meant to submit to a man, always intended to submit to a mission. And when this is why I say that sometimes it's easier to just submit to a man because then you don't have to have a heart check. You can just be like, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right, kids. That's what we're doing. All right. That's what we're doing. You don't actually have to have a relationship. You can just nod and, and, okay, that's what we're doing. You don't actually have to discuss anything difficult. You don't actually have to say, well, I think maybe that doesn't align with the mission of our family. The mission of our family is to bring glory to God. The mission of marriage is to bring us together closer to God. The mission of having kids is to raise up kids that worship God. And so anything that conflicts with that mission, there has to be a voice within the home that rises up and says, this is not okay. This is not right. We have to change course. We have to get back to the mission. And, and so, and so, you know, as far as who does the dishes and who vacuums the carpet, I mean, you know, you guys figure that out on your own. But the, but the role, the, the role that, that scripture says, the way to make this otherness work is there has to be a submission, an under a mission uh, attempt to, to hold up and to support, uh, to support the husband, to support the one who is the leader of the home, to absolutely honor that person and give that person his, his rightful place. But it's never meant to override the mission. And so ultimately you're fighting, you're both fighting for the mission. You're both fighting for us. You're not fighting for me. You're fighting for us. Say, this doesn't make sense for us. This doesn't help us. This doesn't benefit us. So you, so you fight for that. And you, and you, and you, and you, you, you throw a red flag whenever somebody's going off the mission. And that's okay. It's not divisive. It's not evil. It's not awful. It's not unsubmitted. To submit is to come under a mission, which Jesus came under a mission from his heavenly father. And we have come under the mission that Jesus has given us. And so we as a church are submitted to the mission of God, which is why we do stuff like, like uh, Fall Fest which is why we do stuff like keep kids fed, right? We bring food to the church, some of us. By the way, we need more people to bring food. That just reminds me. So some, some more of you guys need to get under that mission. Uh, we bring food to the church. We just got three more kids this week from the school that said they want food uh, during. It's ba- basically, we are feeding kids that can't eat um, Friday through Sunday. So kids come here, they rely on the school for their food. And then what do they do on the weekends? And yeah, Thanksgiving week, we want to provide an entire week worth of food. Christmas break, we want to provide food every day for those kids. We want, as a church, we want to get under the mission of Jesus for this community, which is to feed the poor, to clothe the naked, to reach out to the homeless, like to, to take care of the widow. This is the mission of God on the earth. So we're going to get under that mission. And, and for you to come sit in a church is lovely, but to get under the mission with us, that is what God really wants from you. He wants you to get under that mission. And so it's our job as pastors of the church to encourage you to get under the mission, not because we benefit, not because, oh, hey, uh, the church that feeds the most kids gets some special prize in heaven. This is not the way it works. And we don't get any recognition. No newspapers are rolling up here to talk, to talk to us. We're just doing what God's called us to do. And we know that as we submit to his mission, that that's where unity comes. That's where otherness can work. But as soon as churches, and this is true, uh, I've seen churches get off mission and immediately uh, uh, division starts rising up and bickering starts rising up and people start going at each other because they're not under a mission. They've pulled themselves out from under the mission of God in their life. And the minute you stop submitting to God, the minute you stop being under Jesus is the very minute that you start losing all of the things that come from that connection with him. 
I'd like to preach right there, but I'll tell you, it's, submission is so important. Submission is so important. Uh, going on to the next verse, though, we've got to talk about the guys. Husbands, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. This word is agape. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Love means uh, prioritize. It doesn't uh, mean be affectionate toward. It doesn't mean uh, be her friend. It means to prioritize her, put her in a place of priority in your life. Husbands, prioritize your wives as Christ prioritized the church and gave himself up for her. This is talking about crucifixion. So husbands, your job is to prioritize your wives as Christ prioritized the church when he died for her. So the, if the first word is submission, the way to work with the friction of otherness, first of all, submission. Secondly, there has to be sacrifice. There has to be sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for us. He did not receive anything from the cross. He didn't get any payback from that. He sacrificed for us. His sacrifice was for our highest good. His sacrifice was for our redemption. So as he's hanging on the cross, he is, he is with his very wounds, he is creating a, a way for the very people that nailed him to the cross to not only be forgiven, they could have been forgiven through, 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 through the Levitical lamb system, but not only forgiveness, he's making a way for them to be redeemed and cleansed and purified and empowered. His blood is paving a new relationship for those people with his heavenly father. And guys, this is our role. Our role is to prioritize our wives so that they get closer to God. Basically, when you, when husbands, when we stand before God, I believe God's going to ask us first and foremost about us. What did we do? Secondly, he's going to ask us about what did you do with the people I gave you? With the woman I gave you? With the children I gave you? And we can't just wash our hands and say, well, that's all up to her. She's got to figure that out for herself. I'll just do what I'm supposed to do it over sounds here. just like you. That's pretty much how I talk whenever I'm one-minded. One, one uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like we, we cannot absolve ourselves from their relationship, from her relationship. Her relationship with God is partly my responsibility. I am, I am in charge of prioritizing her relationship with God. Which means, which means that, 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 that I, I often have to put what I want on the cross. I often have to put what I would, would like on the cross. I have to, put, I have to be the one to, to die and then out of my wounds come this, this healing yeah. for her. Yeah, for me watching it, um, it's the parallel of what Jesus does. The sacrifice, sacrificial husband and Jesus are doing the same thing. They both serve God's mission first. And then they serve their bride. The church is Jesus' bride. I am Harry's bride. And that service is to propel us, propel us towards the Father. That's what Jesus does, and that's what Harry does for me and our kids. That's what the sacrificial hubby does. Is it my turn? You that's done? That's, no, I've that's, got more. that's all you got? No, don't even think okay. about it. So, go with it, go with it, go with it. Preach, preach, girl. So, as I was thinking about, sorry, Hanky. As I was thinking about, you know, we're negotiating these bumps of otherness and the friction that comes up when you come against um, something that is different than you. And I was, you know, we're thinking about submission first, that that is a way to negotiate those bumps. And out of submission flows unhindered sacrifice. You know, I was talking to the Lord, and um, I don't like sacrifice. I don't like that word quite as much as I like the word submission. Maybe in another 10 years, I'll like that a lot more. As someone would have said, I wouldn't have liked submission 10 years ago. But Harry, Harry um, God was just saying to me that the way to sacrifice is through submission. If you have submission in your heart, if your heart is submitted to God's mission, then automatically you will sacrifice. Automatically a sacrificial life will ensue. And what is, a, what is a sacrificed life? A sacrificial life, it's a submitted life. It's submitted to Scripture. It's submitted to what the Bible says. It's submitted so that you can be in effect to other people. We need submitted people in this church to be able to mentor other people that are learning what it is to be submitted. 
I run a mentoring ministry in this church and we're training up three new mentors at the moment and we have such desperate need of submitted lives to come alongside those who are learning to embrace being submitted and walk with them and care for them and pray for them and give them wise counsel. I need more submitted lives to affect this church, to propel them towards the Father. The only thing we need to understand, this was um, from the same article that I read this week, the only thing we need to understand in our trial is not what is God doing, but what does He expect of me? The response God wants us to have when a trial or tragedy hits is for us to unconditionally trust Him enough to obey Him. I heard a pastor's wife telling the story this week and it resonated with me. She said she had a, a meeting that night. She had to pick up, her and her husband had to pick up a couple to be able to go out to dinner and they had to pick them up at five o'clock if they were gonna beat the traffic and make it to where they needed to go. So she had to pick up her little six-year-old girl from school at, and she th said, you know, she was part of a carpool and so she had to pick up a whole lot of kids. She said, if I get there by 3.30, I'll be able to drop the kids off, I'll be able to get home, do what I need to do and get ready for this thing. So she had her timeline. So she picked the kids up at 3.30 Well, one of the little girls who was riding with her jammed her finger in the door. And so that took a detour. Her timeline got thwarted by 15 minutes as she took that little girl inside and gave her ice and called the mum and, and comforted her and stuff. And then she was back on the road. She's 15 minutes late, but she can still handle it. She gets home. She has to make a souffle, because I've never tried to make a souffle and will never try to make a souffle, but apparently this lady wanted to because she had some lunch in the next day that she needed a souffle. So she's looking through her cupboards, can't find the one pan that she can make a souffle out of. She realizes her friend has borrowed it. She rings her friend. Her friend's like, I can bring it tomorrow. She's like, tomorrow's not gonna work. I need it today. So then she decides, well, fine, I'm gonna try it in something else. So she puts all of the ingredients into another pan, doesn't fit. So she puts it into her cuisine art and turns the button and the whole thing explodes. It starts going, she has egg, she has milk, going all over her kitchen, through her drawers, dripping down the front of her. And at this point, she throws a fit <laughs> and she starts kicking the cabinets and she is mad and she is frustrated and she feels the Lord tap her on the shoulder and he says, Nancy, that was her name. I'm not pointing at any Nancys in the room. He says, Nancy, will you submit to me right now? I haven't called you to anger. I haven't called you to being resentful of the things that have got in front of your timeline today. I've called you to have peace. I've called you to have forgiveness. I've called you to have mercy, grace, faith, humility, love, joy, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. This is my mission for you, Nancy. Will you submit? And so she said, oh, she said it wasn't easy. She said nothing in her wanted to. She wanted to throw a fit and she wanted to have a self-pity party. But she said, I will submit, Lord. And she lay down her emotions and she submitted. And she said she managed to pick those people up in time and they managed to get to the place. And she said, what a better example she was of Jesus and of his love because she chose to submit. Because when we choose to hold on to that bitterness and resentment, it blocks God's love being able to go through us and reach out to other people. And that's the mission. The mission is to reflect God and to love others. Yeah, yeah, and that's where otherness can be so powerful because we are um, very different, Ro and I. And so, you know, that, that difference at first opposites attract and God's intentional about that. God tricked um, me. There's but no then, opposites attract. And opposites also then repel because um, that's na na natural. Um, and so, you know, there's just this, like, in, like in a thousand ways, like in, like in a million ways, we are um, entirely opposite. Like uh, for me, you know, when, when you go to the grocery store, like you get, um, you have a giant cart, right? And you put all your grocery bags in the cart, unless you're in Austin, then each grocery piece goes in the cart at a time. And, uh, you know, because you forgot to bring a bag. And so, you know, you push it all out to the car, you fill up the back of your car, you get home, and then you don't have a cart anymore, right? So, so you need to make trips. You need to, like, 
fill up your arms and then go in and then come back out. But not, not Roe. Roe needs to, like, become the cart, you know. She needs to put, like, ten bags on each arm and carry stuff, like, between her legs and her feet and, like, waddle on in there, you know. Because it takes, you know, ten minutes for her to, like, make that journey. Whereas I'm, like, going back and forth and it takes the same amount of time. So, anyway, so she's always like, why do you have to make so many trips? I'm like, why do you got to load everything up all the time? How come we can't just, like, what's the, what's the rush? Nothing's going to burn down. We don't have any ice cream. It's not going to melt, you know. And, like, there's no absolutely zero rush. But, um, but we're just so different. Like, even, like, you know, cereal boxes. Like, we talked about this a while ago, how, how when we first got married, um, I was raised in a Christian home. And so <laughs> I, was taught, I was taught that, you know, you have your, your Captain Crunch peanut butter crunch. And, and the way, you, know, you, you open the top of the box, and then you have the bag. Well, you pull the bag apart. Like, that's, that's what Christians do. They pull the bag apart because but there are some compromisers who who like to pick up the bag get some scissors and 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 go like this now now initially this is easier i will i will hand it to you because sometimes the bag sticks you got to go to the other end and test that one and it's a little bit tricky but it's a little easier to just clip it you know the problem is though you lose like three inches of bag right and that's important. That's, that's legit because, because now when you pour cereal into the bowl, it goes from the bag to the box to the bowl instead of straight from the bag to the bowl. And pouring's not a problem, but as soon as you pick that thing back up, all the cereal that was on its way to the bowl from the bag, but it was in the box, some of you are completely confused, that cereal anyway, it ends up staying in the box. And the problem with that is the next morning you go up and you shake the box to see if there's any cereal left and you think there's cereal left, but no, it's just in the box and it's stale and you can't eat it. And so you get all ready to eat and it's like, nope, the bag's empty. There's just a, a pound of cereal in the box. Spend a little time on the front end and pull it. Just, just. Or spend a little time on the other end and lift the bag up. Right. Yeah, there's always that. But. It's like, you know, just these opposites. We have so many different ways. And those are sort of practical, funny sort of life ways. But, but there, are, there are deeper ways. There are, there are different ways that we respond to, 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 to hardship, right? She, she, she's talking and she wants me to listen. <laughs> when I could solve it. Like it's a waste of time. He's just like, I mean, just let's just let's just pull it apart. This is all you have to do. We don't have to talk about the process. Just and but but for her, like she wants to deal with this just simply by letting it out and talking it through. And and I just want to deal with it by coming up with the best solution and dealing with it, you know. And um, but we 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 but but we approach all these things differently, which is why the only way for otherness to work in a marriage and in a, a church community, because like you guys are. We got some weird folks here. Some of you are just weird. It's just, just weirdos. And the, the only way for you to get along with each other is if we have this idea of submission. That I, I'm, not, I'm not here with any other agenda than to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. And I don't need to be recognized. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need an award of the month. I don't, I don't need somebody to come tell me. I like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have all these, all these. I'm ready. When, when, you, when you sacrifice for somebody else, what you're doing is you're giving up what you think that you ought to have. You're giving up something you think you deserve. You, you're, you're right, basically. You are letting that die. And this is so important. One, it's important to be in marriage. You have to die. And if you're not ready to die, then don't get married because you're just, you're just, you're just going to make the other person miserable, okay? If you, you have to be ready to die to yourself. Like, you have to be ready to get on a cross. If you're ready to get married, what you're saying is, I'm ready to get on the cross and hand her the nails, basically. Uh, I'm going to get on the cross. I'm going to hand you the nails and a hammer. That's what marriage is. That's just what it is. You are, you, 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 like, and the thing about Jesus, when he got on the cross, he, he did it first. It's not that us, we don't sacrifice, because we do. And, and in fact, Peter himself, the, 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 one of the lead disciples of Jesus, was also crucified. And so the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, would also sacrifice just like Jesus sacrificed. But the difference is Jesus sacrificed first. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So this sacrifice, while you can say, oh, I would do anything for them, but will you do it first? Will you do it when they're not submitting? Will you do it when they're not sacrificing? Will you do it when you feel like it's not being reciprocated? That's what Jesus did. He died first. He said, you don't even love me. You don't care about me. You're not, you're not interested in following me or submitting to me. So I'm going to die first in order to empower you to do what you're called to do. And that's what being a leader is. Whether you're a, a husband, leader of a home, or a pastor, leader of a church, or a CEO, or a manager of a company, or you're a leader in, in business, it, you do it first. It's not that you do it better. It's not that you do it more often. You just do it first. You take the first step. Just like, just like in a dance, like in a, like in a good dance, which we cannot do. We will not illustrate for you. I'll illustrate. That'd be great. It's done. Yeah, no. <laughs> we tried that one time. Harry's a, a bad dancer. I, I'm good at other things. I'm not good at dancing. I'll just, I'll tell you that. Um, I can't, I don't have good coordination with my body. I just, I don't Madden know suffers from the same thing. Watching Madden and gym class is a tragedy, but boy, does she love that class. But Yeah, you know. Some of us just aren't gifted. So, but one thing I do know in dancing, like I can do the slow dance because basically it's like I step first and then you step and then I step somewhere else and you step somewhere else. And we try to generally go in a bit of a circle, right? See, I got this down. It's nothing. Um, but that's what it is. So the guy takes the first step. And it's not that he takes the better step or the stronger step or the smarter step. But he sacrifices first. He apologizes first. <laughs> he repents first. He serves first. If, if there's any uh, issue in the home, I always go to the guy and say, okay, what are you not doing? Because it's not, it's not all his fault. Don't get me wrong, it's not all his fault. But, but the start, the beginning, is supposed to be him. But scripture has shown us this isn't just applicable to guys. This is applicable throughout the board. If you have a, if you have a friendship, a Christian friendship, and there's, there's something between you, somebody's got to be first. Somebody's got to be first to let it go. Somebody's got to be first to say, I'll get past that. Somebody has to be first to say, I'll let you be human. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you to a standard that I don't hold everybody else to. Right? So I'm, somebody, the leader is the one who steps out and says, I will be the first one to forgive. I will be the first one to think the best of a person. I will be the first one to serve. I'll be the first one to show up. We are, Madden, Madden asked me the other night, so are you kind of the boss at, at, at City Chapel? I said, well, sort of. <laughs> um, I don't get paid enough for that, but uh, it's sort of. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, because that's what God told me to do and I did it first and I stepped out and Matt and Ro and I and Madden and Micah as a family stepped out first and people came along and followed us people came along behind us and they said yeah I want to be a part of that yeah I want to be in on that yes I want to get under that mission and because we stepped out first and then we had a launch team of 45 people who came along to all of our little meetings and we played games and we went out and just we did crazy stuff like garage sales and Lord, I hate garage sales. We did garage sales. We did all this stuff so that we could raise barely enough money to buy speakers and lights and stuff. And you say, well, well, well why were they doing it? Was, is, were they the only ones who have given in the last two years? No. Since we started, several have come and have given actually more financially, more money than those people who were there in the beginning. But those people in the beginning were the ones who did it first. They enabled, they made it possible for you all to show up and to come alongside and to come under this mission. So you have to honor the ones who, someone's got to get the ball rolling. Someone's got to make the first step. Someone's got to say, there's nothing there, but at least I'm going to bring something to the table. I'm going to start this sacrificing thing. And God's plan is that when that leader starts, whether it's in a home or a community or a family, an extended family, someone's got, whoever, when that, when that leader starts, that there is, a, there is a, a, a reaction to that. And the reaction is not what you think. So often uh, we, we stop doing it first because we figure out that it doesn't work. And we say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. 
And the truth is, if you evaluate Jesus' sacrifice based on, did it work? Did those soldiers ever come to know Jesus? Did they ever give their hearts to God? We have no record of that. The Bible doesn't ever tell us. How about half of the people of Austin? No, you can basically say it hasn't worked for really three quarters of Austin. You don't want anything to do with God. You can look around the world, seven billion people. Did it, did, did it work? Well, if you're looking in this room, yeah. <laughs> but if you're looking in other rooms, no. But Jesus didn't evaluate his sacrifice based on what he thought would work. He evaluated his sacrifice based on what his father told him to do. And so his father said, do this. And so he did it. And my challenge to you is stop waiting for something that you think is going to work for your marriage, for your life, for your job, for your relationships, for your Christian community, for your own walk with Christ. We wait for inspiration when God has called us to obedience. Huge doors of inspiration turn on tiny hinges of obedience. Tiny inches of moment by moment submission, submitting to the call, submitting to what God is telling you to do. It's not sexy. It's not hot. It's not hip. It's not going to, I'm not going to write a bestseller book on it. (laughs) We're not going to go on TBN with it, but it's just what works. It is the tiny hinges of obedience that open the huge doors of inspiration into your life. And when you deny those moments of obedience, when you think that you can do the door without the hinges, it doesn't work. It doesn't open. Your life doesn't work. Your your marriage doesn't work. Your job doesn't work. Your joy disappears. Your passion disappears. You lose the feeling. And you sit around and wait for a feeling to come back when the way the feeling got there was through moments of obedience. The way Jesus built his church was he died first. Nobody ran up to him. Oh, Jesus, I'll serve you if you'll just die for me. Nobody committed to him. Nobody bought into his vision. He died first. You have to die first. You have to say, my life is not my own. I am not able to make my own decisions or define my own reality. The great lie of our age is that we are able to pick out who we are, what gender we are, and and who we can be attracted to, and, and how we're supposed to live, and what our own morality should be. And we will define this. We will decide this apart from God. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's arrogance. It's pride. And it puts you above God. And then you have to try to figure out how to get your own peace. You have to try to figure out how to get your own joy. You have to try to figure out how to get your own motivation. And you don't have it. And so you quit. And it's this endless cycle. But God is calling us to submit to the Holy Spirit in our personal lives and to each other. And to sacrifice for First of all, our Father in heaven in obedience. Secondly, for each other. You don't have to like somebody to, to sacrifice for them. <laughs> you don't have to think they're worth it to sacrifice for them. You don't have to think it's going to work to do it. If you're, if, if, if you're really, if, if you are submitted and if you are in the place where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you're not evaluating if this is going to work or how it's going to make you feel. You're not aligning, even, even, even just reading scripture, right? So this is why it's important to read the Bible because the Bible tells us the exact word of God, what God says works. And we don't always agree with that. And our culture doesn't always agree with that. And we read that and we're like, that's old fashioned or that's dumb or that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> but, but we don't even feel it. Our conscience isn't even grieved anymore because we've, so, we've gone so far that we don't even feel when we're doing wrong. So, so you can't even trust what you feel. You can't trust that, oh, it feels fine to me. Yeah, well, who died and made you God? There's no, there's no you. There's, you don't define what feels fine to you. This is what is written. This is the word of God. What does he say about it? What does he say about your relationship? What does he say about your choices? What does he say about the stuff you're putting in your body? What does he say about the stuff you're putting into your eyes? What does he say about the stuff that's coming out of your mouth? Not do you feel fine with it? Does it it, pretty much okay with me? No, not are you okay with it? Not, Not how does it make you feel? This is, this, is, this is what obedience is. I tell my kids, you know, I, I tell Mike all the time, bud, what did I say? I said to do this. I don't want to do that. 
And I'm like, okay, so this is a perfect opportunity for you to be submitted when your want is exactly opposite of my want. This is a good time for you to learn because until then, you're just, you're just a fan. As long as your wants are running parallel with Jesus's wants, you're just in his fan club. But submission moves you from fan club to, to son. Submission moves you from, from, yeah, I really like this Jesus guy. He's great. To, wow, he just confronted him with me and what I thought was fine, what I always did, and what my family always did, and what my culture says is fine. And what, on, the, on the news, that's what they said was fine. And Facebook certainly agrees with me, and Twitter is all about me. And I got all this stuff. But the Word of God says something explicitly different. And so I submit to the Word. I submit to that because that is what's going to judge me. He's going to open the books. He's going to say, okay, this is what I told you. This is what was passed down for thousands of years, stained with the blood of martyrs in order to arrive in your lap. <laughs> so that you would know what is going to bring you life. So that you would know what is going to bring you joy. So that you would know the path to peace. Don't close it up and walk away from it. And wait for peace to somehow mysteriously, magically be waved over you. The path to peace is right in front of you. It's submission and sacrifice. I mean, it's not sexy, but it's submission and sacrifice. It's not motivational speech. It's not Tim Tebow in your locker room before halftime, but it's submission and sacrifice. And it is as boring and as hard and as uphill as that entirely. And it doesn't get any easier. Just in case you're thinking, oh, good, after six months, I'll have this down. No, you won't. You will always... <laughs> Come back to submission and sacrifice. Even when you're pastoring a church and your name is Harry Fleming, you will always come back to submission and sacrifice. And God will always say, Harry, that thought wasn't right. Harry, that motive wasn't right. That's not submitted to my word. That's not submitted to my ways. That doesn't sound like me, Harry. That's not what I would do in that situation. That's you coming out. That's what you want. That's what you're thinking. You're being selfish. So God still, <laughs> submission and sacrifice. But it is the way to life. It is the way to joy. It is the way to the fulfilling life that Jesus talks about that everybody's on board for. It is the way. It's submission and sacrifice. And it is the way for a church to grow. It is the way for a church not just to grow numerically, but for us to actually grow spiritually because we spent time together. Because we spent 20 years together, 15 years together because we spend our lives together. Church is not just a commitment that, well, I have to show up and do this, and I just have to do that. No, it's a community. You are spending your lives. You're spending your children's lives. You're spending your spouse's life. This is, this is it. This is all we got. This is our five minutes. <laughs> Let's make it count. Let's not just rub shoulders with people and just say, well, I was committed to church because I went there every Sunday. No, what about, what, like, what, what about submission and sacrifice? What about actual connectivity with people? What about real fellowship? Oh, well, I, I, they, they bug me too much. <laughs> I wasn't willing. I wasn't willing to be the first one to let go of stuff. I wasn't willing to be the first one to go across the aisle and say, you look kind of lonely. Let's go out to lunch. Let's hang out. What do you need? What's going on in your life? And in marriages, often that's just the good, a good start. Wake up in the morning, babe, what do you need from me today? How can I serve you today? Well, she hasn't served me. No, no never mind. Hold up, hold up. <laughs> just start it off. Well, he hasn't been doing Yeah, 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 I got that. But how can I serve you? What do you need? How can I die for you today? Because it's a daily thing. And it's a daily thing with the Holy Spirit. Your prayer should be, Lord, how can I die today? What's inside of me today that needs to go away? What, what, what is anti you? What's against you? I don't even know. <laughs> Lord, we just come.